0: on the guitar last night. But thank you so much, guys, for leading us. Have a seat. And Pastor Abe, why don't you come on up?
1: Just don't take it out. Okay, uh, I really racked my brain to find some dirt on Duke, and I just couldn't. Well, I either either couldn't come up with it, or I couldn't bear myself to share it, so. (laughs) That's right, exactly. I don't want to blow this church up, so, you know. There's no dirt on Paula. She's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, man, it's been such a great week. When, weekend with you all. And, uh, you know, Duke is a dear friend, and I've always been kind of watching what the Lord has been doing uh, here in your congregation from afar and really admiring the work that's happening here, and uh, just really grateful for how the Spirit of God is moving in kind of a new way, I sense, in this congregation. So it's been an honor for me to just uh, allow my story to be weaved in, even if it's just for a few moments into the congregation, and uh, it's just been an honor to be with you this weekend. So thanks for the invite, Duke. It's been a great time. Uh, So this whole weekend, you know, we've been looking at this notion of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Uh, And we've been emphasizing that this reorientation or new orientation, when it comes to us, so the fall from orientation to disorientation feels like pain. It feels like a death. But from disorientation to reorientation will feel like a surprise. Uh, It'll feel like a gift. Uh, It'll feel like the kind of thing that you must wait on, that God must do, like resurrection. That's what it'll feel like. Uh, And so we've been kind of talking about these things. I hope for some of you this has been uh, something that's been helping you give you some biblical categories for understanding where you are and what you're doing. What I wanted to do uh, this morning is actually leave you with something very, very practical. Uh, So to walk away saying, okay, these were helpful ideas that helped me to maybe see some areas where I need to pay more attention uh, maybe lot, I need to be more honest with the fact that I feel disoriented in my walk with God at this point, point. and those are all really important things. But I want to walk away. Want you to walk away with something practical. So I thought I would close out our session essentially with a practice of Sabbath keeping. And now, by Sabbath keeping, I don't necessarily mean a strict 24-hour day period where you know you can't do anything besides come to church, that sort of a thing. But I am talking about a regular rhythm of rest and work. Uh, regular rhythm even of solitude of unplugging and that sort of thing and the reason I see those things as related uh, is a couple of things first uh, as I was kind of in the middle of my own pit a story that was that kind of blew me away was a story of Elijah <clears throat> uh, after his encounter with the prophets of Baal some of you know know this story uh, and it was this big dramatic encounter, and Elijah is one of the few who are faithful against all these prophets of Baal who had led Israel into idolatry. And this big dramatic encounter, and fire comes down from heaven, and all that. And, and Elijah has this heroic moment, this phenomenal moment of being used by by God. And then immediately after that happens, he hears a threat from a uh, queen. Jezebel, is that right? Yeah, Queen Jezebel, Uh, uh, threatening his life. And do you remember what Elijah says after that? He just had this, a dramatic moment, this this triumphant moment of God's power, and then this threat comes uh, from the ruler of Israel, and he says, "I wish you would just take my life, Lord. Uh, This is not worth it. I can't do this anymore." Uh, and then God sends him out into the desert. and do you know what God does for Elijah in that moment? You think like, boy, talk about a response of unbelief. boy, talk about talk about sin, talk about selfishness. and God takes Elijah out into the wilderness. You know what he does for him? He gives Elijah a nap and a snack. <laughs> and then Elijah wakes up again, and God says, "You know what? You need another nap." And that, there was something about that, because there was something in my own life, trying to do the ministry of God, trying to be faithful and that sort of thing. And there was a point in my life, I don't know that I ever said that, you know, I wish you would take my life, but there were certainly moments where I said, God, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And my in my imagination, God's response in my mind was a look of disappointment, uh, was a look of rejection, was a look of how could you, after all I've done for you, how could you say something... Uh, And to read this story and say, no, 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 what God wants to do, he wants to take you out into the desert to give you a nap, and he's going to bake fresh bread for you. And even after that, you're going to wake up and you're like, Lord, I still can't say, that's okay, go take another nap. And so that practice for me, this practice of Sabbath keeping, this practice of relating with God to be able to rest That the one place in the universe that I can rest and be at peace is before the Holy One of Israel. And that weekly practice of Sabbath is what helped me to change the way that I relate to God. And I just want to share a little bit about that, but uh, so that's why that's why to me the practice of keeping Sabbath is directly related to all that we've been talking about because it's what helps our soul begin to engage with God in a different sort of a way. Uh, but let me share one more thing before kind of diving into the text. <clears throat> uh, just a quick word on practices. Okay, so the historically the church. Uh, in the reform world, we tend to call these things the means of grace, which is a great way to talk about it because these are the practices or the disciplines, the means by which God grants us His grace. So this is not by our effort, not by our earning, but purely by the grace of God. So I love means of grace. Uh, but I love the word practices because spiritual practices, the word practice uh, to me really captures what's going on when we do these things. So let me give you an illustration. Uh, growing up, the movie that at the time felt the most empowering as an Asian American was The Karate Kid. (laughs) Even though you look back on it, you're like, was it that empowering? I don't know. A lot of stereotypes in there. I'm not so sure. But growing up, you know, it was a Karate Kid. And so do you remember the scene? Uh, I don't know. Some of you might be too young for The Karate Kid, right? Uh, But... Uh, so there's a scene in Karate Kid where Mr. Miyagi, uh, the the sensei as it were, takes on Danny Russo, who's the new kid, and he wants to uh, you know learn how to fight karate, and he's going to go in these tournaments, and he comes to Mr. Miyagi for training. I remember for weeks and months and weeks and months, what is he, what does Mr. Miyagi have Danny Russo do? Paint, Paint the fence, <laughs> right? Sand the floor, wax on, wax off weeks and weeks and hours and hours into the night and Danny Bruce was saying when are you going to teach me how to do karate and just over and over and over again there's that dramatic moment where Mr. Miyagi goes paint the fence and then it kicks and he blocks it and then (laughs) dramatic music and it's like oh my gosh I've been learning karate this whole time (laughs) right oh my gosh mind blown right that kind of thing uh What I love about that, what I love about that is that that, to me, really gets at the heart of what what I mean by spiritual practices. They are ordinary, unremarkable, daily, repeated actions that become habits, that become muscle memory of your soul. So that in the heat of the moment of the tournament or the fight or the battle your body responds before your brain can even engage. And so you practice things in the ordinary moments of everyday life when the heat is not on. So that when the heat is on, your soul has the muscle memory to respond in the manner and with the mission of Jesus the Master. So spiritual practices is what creates the character to be able to respond as Jesus, our Lord, would respond. The spiritual practice of Sabbath-keeping, I want to suggest to you, as we keep Sabbath, and I'm going to talk a little bit as we look at these two passages about what is the essence of Sabbath-keeping. The practice of Sabbath-keeping is creating a particular kind of muscle memory of the soul, so that when we find ourselves, whether in the place of orientation, disorientation, or reorientation, there's a muscle memory built into our soul where we know we can pay attention to God even when we're trying to find him in the dark. So the two are directly related, okay? So spiritual practices, that's what's going on. Every time you decide to read your Bible in the morning, that habit, or, or you could take uh, playing the piano, for example. I always tell my kids we battle every day about piano practice. And I always tell them, well, you know, they say, "I I'll play the song. And I say, no, 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 what you're trying to do is you're actually trying to get the music into your fingers so that your fingers know the music, not just your brain. Right? It's the muscle memory. It's getting it in there so that when the time of the concert comes, it's not your brain trying to recall the music, it's your fingers that are playing the music, and you're able to engage in a different kind of a way, okay? Uh, And so that's what a practice is. And so what I want to do is this morning just look, I'll try to be quick, uh, but it's to look at the practice of Sabbath keeping and hopefully help you to see um, what the connections are and also to share a little bit of how this has been life-transforming for me. So let's look at uh, Exodus 20. Uh, This is in your packets, verses 8 through 11, and then Deuteronomy 5, uh, verses 12 through 15. So I'll just go ahead and read this really quickly. I remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh, day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's Deuteronomy 5. Some of you may not know that the Ten Commandments are in the Bible twice. Exodus 20 at Sinai. Deuteronomy 5, just before they enter into the promised land. So Deuteronomy 5, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do; uh, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may be as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Okay, so, uh, what is practicing Sabbath? And I want to suggest to you it's three things, at least, it's probably more. Uh, Practicing Sabbath, first is practicing delight. Secondly, it's practicing resistance. And then thirdly, it's practicing trust. Okay, so let's look at each one of those in turn. So first, uh, practicing Sabbath is practicing delight. <clears throat> so if you look at the Exodus 20, you'll notice that it goes back to Genesis chapter 1, the, uh, the creation account, and, it, and 1 and 2. And then in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that God rests after the six days of creation. Now, if you stop and you think about it and you ask yourself, well, why would God have to rest? Uh, is he resting because he's tired? Is he resting because of fatigue? And the answer, of course, would be like, no, there's something else going on, that when God rests on the day of Sabbath, it is a deliberate expression of satisfaction, contentment, and delight. It is good. It is good. It is good. And God takes an entire day to sit in the delight of what it is that he has done. We are entering into, when we enter into a Sabbath, when we enter into the Sabbath day, it is entering into the very delight of God. And so the writer who helped me to see this most vividly and most imaginatively is a writer named G.K. Chesterton. And here's how he uh, describes this deep sense of wonder and gratitude that we can experience when we enter into the light of God at everything that we see in creation. Here's what he writes. He says, the sun rises regularly. Maybe because it never gets tired of rising. Its routine may be due not to a lifelessness, but to a rush of life. We see this in children. A child kicks his leg rhythmically uh, through excess, not absence of life. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person nearly dies doing it over and again. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every morning, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all the daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never gotten tired of making them. And he says the repetition in nature may not be mere recurrence. It may be theatrical encore. Can you enter into that, um, that everything that you see, that the God who created him is e- engaging with that in delight and wonder? And it's interesting to me that in verse 8 of Exodus 20, where it says it says to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, this is the first time they're really getting this command to keep it Sabbath. So what are they remembering they're remembering the Sabbath of God. They're remembering the delight of God. They're being asked to enter into, and, and, and they're being invited to enter into and share in the joy of God. So if you go back to the Genesis uh, two, uh, Genesis 1 account in creation, have you ever thought about this? God creates all things, you know, day and night and earth and sky and that kind of thing, sun and moon and uh, all the creeping creatures. Do you remember when he creates the human race? What day? Day six. So Adam and Eve are created on day six, and they're given this charge. You are my vice regents. You are my representatives. I'll rule through you. So therefore, tend the garden, uh, cultivate the world, uh, guard it and keep the garden. They're given this enormously um, important charge. The are created on day six. They're given this great mandate, the creational mandate, cultural mandate. And then they go to bed that night with this great responsibility given to them by God. And they wake up the next day and they're ready to rock, and it's a Sabbath. And all they can do on the very first day after they've received this tremendous commission, all they're allowed to do is to explore God's creation with the same wonder and delight and joy of their creator. When God asks us to enter into the Sabbath... He's asking us to enter into the practice of delight, to practice this joy, to practice this sense of wonder. Have you ever walked through a park with a two-year-old? And have you ever experienced the park over the shoulder of a two-year-old? Chances are, there's a good chance you'll only get five feet into the park because they'll stop at a crack in the sidewalk and look at the ants and dig with their fingers and find the worms, and you never make it past the first crack of the sidewalk. To enter into the wonder, a world alive with this kind of wonder. Do we have eyes to see that? We can't have eyes to see that in the heat of our day-to-day moments if we're not practicing it. If we don't practice it in those times, that delight will never come to us. So, are you practicing delight? And if you're not, why does it surprise you that joy and peace and contentment are hard to sustain? And this is what I discovered, again, in the midst of stumbling in the darkness myself. That I look back and say, I haven't practiced delight in months, maybe years and so here I am lost in the dark, and I have no I, I don't have the eyes. I haven't cultivated the muscle memory, to be able to sense the presence of God, to sense the delight of God, to sense that joy and wonder. And so I was utterly lost. But God commands us, out of love, remember the Sabbath. remember my Sabbath. Keep it holy. This is what you need. We don't have to keep a Sabbath. We get to keep the Sabbath. So we can practice delight once a week so that the other six days of the week we enter in with a posture of delight. Okay, so that's the first point. It's practicing delight. But it's also, and this is equally important, it's also secondly practicing resistance. Not just practicing delight. It's also practicing resistance. Uh did you notice the main difference between Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus 20? It's the same kind of Ten Commandments. Uh, did, you know what the ma- did you notice what the main difference is? The main difference is a reference to slavery, isn't it? So the main difference is the reason for the Sabbath is different. In Exodus chapter 20, the reason for the Sabbath is that God rested in delight in looking at his creation. But the reason for the Sabbath in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the reason you must keep the Sabbath, this is verse 15, is because there was a time when you were slaves and you had no say in whether you could take a Sabbath or not. Someone else was deciding your week for you. You were not free to take a Sabbath. And what I love about this is, remember, Deuteronomy 5, they're sitting on the cusp of entering the promised land. They're not on the cusp of being um, taken over and ruled and conquered by another nation. They're on the cusp of entering to the promised land. They're about to become the most free that they've ever been in their entire existence. And the face of all this freedom, that's when God says, but be careful when you get into the promised land, remember to take a Sabbath. Because there was a time when you were enslaved by Egypt by the Pharaoh of Egypt. But you need to realize that there is a Pharaoh deep inside your heart. That the Pharaoh of Egypt said that your worth is boils down to the quota of bricks you're able to produce each day. And he's saying that in the midst of this moment of perfect freedom, when you can be your own Pharaoh, there's a Pharaoh in your heart that's also demanding a quota of bricks in order for you to feel like you're worthy. And he says, in this moment of perfect freedom, now is the time where it's more important than ever to practice Sabbath. Because this Pharaoh inside of your heart will reduce your value to your productivity. And so a New Testament scholar writes this, the Sabbath is a quiet but uncompromising refusal to be defined by the production system of Babylon so that life is regularly and with discipline enacted as a trusted gift and not as a frantic achievement. This provision for regular rest was a visible public assertion that the people of faith would not have their lives defined by economic production." to keep a Sabbath for Israel was to say, my value is not in what I achieve. My value is not in the quota of bricks. And that statement was every bit a statement to Pharaoh as it was a statement to their own heart. My value cannot be reduced to my production. So one of the things that we've started to do, we've not been as good at it of late as a family, is every Friday, I take my Sabbath from Friday at noon typically through Saturday. Uh, And one of the things that we've done as a family is whenever we start the Sabbath, we light a candle. And we try to keep that candle going throughout the entire um, Sabbath time. And it's just a visual reminder every time we walk by the kitchen. You know, we have a small apartment, so everyone's always walking by the kitchen. But every time we walk by, it, the little light is flickering. And it's just a reminder that here is the presence of God on this day of rest. And one of the things that I've come to pray, uh, only because this has been the the truth that has been most healing for me, I think, and I pray with our kids when we light this candle on Fridays, uh, I say something like, Lord, on this day when we produce nothing for you, this is a day when we will experience your love most fully. Isn't that the gospel? Don't we, each week, need to palpably experience the delight and love of God precisely where we are being least productive? Precisely where we're not striving and earning and doing and achieving? And if we're not doing that, isn't that deforming our souls? Isn't that creating all the wrong kinds of muscle memory? but it's an act of resistance. And what I love about both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, is this is not an individual personal spirituality thing. They said the Sabbath is not only for you who are Israelites or who are adults. It's for your male and female servants. It's for your son, your daughter, your ox, your donkey, the foreigner in your midst. That when we come and take a Sabbath, what happens is that every person, rich and poor, adult, child, male, female, slave, free, citizen, immigrant, everybody, everybody is made equal before God because all they achieve has been left to the side. And we merely stand as those who bear the image of God, equally resting in his presence. And it's the great and profound equalizer, a gift from God. It's practicing resistance so that in the heat of the moment, in the heat of your work life, in the heat of your family life, you're developing this muscle memory of resistance that says my value will not be reduced to my quota of bricks. It cannot. So very practically, um, how do you begin to do this? Uh, And so I'm going to get super, super practical because, again, I want to help you to be able to walk away from this weekend with, if nothing else, one thing, the beginnings of the practice of Sabbath-keeping weekly. That's the one thing that I would love for you to walk away with here practically. So how do you begin to do this? This is what's been helpful for me. So here's my advice to you. First, put it in your calendar. So if you're like me, if it's not in my inbox and it's not in my calendar, it does not get done. It does not exist in the world. So if your Sabbath is not in your calendar, it does not exist in your world. Let's be honest. So put it in your calendar. So there should be a recurring calendar item on your phone that says Sabbath. And then guard it, preserve it, it, protect it, hold the line on it. So that word observe, this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. It's interesting. Exodus 20, the verb is to remember the Sabbath because we're going back to God's first Sabbath. Deuteronomy 5, the verb there is to observe the Sabbath. That, er, uh, that word observe means hold the line. Hold this down. Guard it. Fight for this. And so put it in your calendar. Guard it, preserve it, protect it. This is the holiest time on your calendar. It is the one non-negotiable uh, that where you're truly unavailable. It's just not an option to do anything this time. Okay, so put it in your calendar. Secondly, uh, be realistic. I think our goal for all of us should be a 24-hour period where we're observing a Sabbath. I think if you're not in full-time ministry, Sunday makes perfect sense. That makes sense to be that Sabbath. Uh, in ministry, Sunday is not going to be our Sabbath, which is why I started the Friday to Saturday um, kind of routine. But be realistic. Goal is 24 hours, but... Depending on your work, depending on your stage in life, depending on how old your kids are, uh, 24 hours might not be realistic. But I am going to challenge you, and I'm going to say, I don't know this for sure, but I almost am positive that no matter what your job is, every single one of us can create a three- or four-hour block a week of Sabbath. And I've challenged my congregation. You know, these are financiers on Wall Street and that sort of thing. I'm like, look, I don't know how crazy your schedule is. I've never lived your life. It's not my calling. It's yours. Thank, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I can almost guarantee you, you can create three hours. And most people are like, yeah, probably right. Okay, so be realistic. Start somewhere. Three to four hours after what my wife and I do with the four kids, is we um, have, have Sabbaths for each other. So she has three or four hours on Friday afternoons, and I have three or four hours right after that. And so I know during her Sabbath, I'm on full-time kid duties. I'm picking up kids from school. I'm getting dinner ready, that sort of thing. And then afterwards, she knows I'm on full-on. So we're guarding each other's Sabbath for each other. Uh, that took some conversation. That took some arranging. We had to find the right time that worked for both of us. Uh, but without that kind of coordination, and that might, if you're not married, it may not be your spouse, or if you're not parents, uh, it may not be your spouse. But it could be your coworkers. It could be your boss. It could be the people who report to you. It could be anybody who is kind of relying on you in life, for you to say, "This is where I'm going to. Ha- I'm not just not going to be available, but I will be available these times." But this block is sacred. Okay, so be realistic. So the first one is put in your calendar. Secondly, be realistic. Third one, and this is not going to be popular. You're not going to like me. Shut down the technology. So let me give you something I discovered that blew my mind. Did you know that airplane mode? works on your phone even when you're not on an airplane. (laughs) What? So three to four hours a week, just put it on airplane mode. Uh, And I'll get into this in a little bit. You'll be embarrassed at how few people even notice you've done that. (laughs) Okay, so shut down the tech. Uh, Fourth practical tip, make sure you're practicing delight in that time frame. So don't be too serious. Don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, don't think of God as being too serious. Do things that make you laugh. Do things that bring you joy. Do things that cultivate that childlike delight in you. Do things that are silly, whatever it is, but to do that before the face of God. So make sure you practice delight. And then lastly, it's these are Sabbath, uh, not just because we need rest and we become better workers. But it's we need Sabbath because it says to practice the Sabbath to the Lord your God. So whatever that thing is, make sure it's entirely oriented to the God your Savior and King. So it could be going to the gym. To the Lord your God. It could be taking a nap. I love napping to the glory of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> to the Lord your God. Okay. To the Lord your God. Okay, so there's some practical... Uh, Thing So Sabbath is practicing delight to create that muscle memory for delight in the heat of our moments in our lives. Sabbath is also practicing resistance so that in the heat of a moment of our lives, we're able to create the muscle memory to live freely in all that we do. But third and finally, uh, in the end, Sabbath is practicing trust so when we stop our anxious doings for a day if we lay down those frantic achievements for a day what what's going to happen nothing the earth does not slip off its axis stars don't fall from the sky The world keeps on turning, and here again, you will be embarrassed. It'll be embarrassing. It'll be a crush to your self-esteem how few people actually notice you weren't available. Practicing trust. Why? Because you are not the Christ. You are not the Holy Spirit. It is not in you that all things move and breathe and have their being. You are not the one that holds together all the created world. You are not that. Praise Jesus you're not that. And when you practice Sabbath, you're saying, Lord, I was never meant to play the role of the Holy Spirit. Someone else has that job. And he's a whole lot more qualified than I am. And so you practice that Sabbath as a way of practicing trust. You take whatever it is that you're worried about, and you say, Lord, I can't, I can't be the spirit for this thing, but you can. I can't be the spirit. In these next few hours, I can't be the Holy Spirit for this person, but you can. I can't. You can. So it goes back to that notion of embracing our limitations as creatures. I was talking with a sister earlier, earlier today to deny our limitations or try to overcome our limitations is actually a form of idolatry, isn't it? Right. It's saying that the, the, the attribute of omnipresence ought to be something I can strive to. The attribute of omnipotence ought to be something that I... It is denying God's good limitations that He's given to us as creatures, not as sinners, as creatures. And trying to transcend those limitations is trying to be... The spirit of God, but to embrace our limitations, to delight in our limitations, to know that our deepest joy and flourishing will be found in our limitations, is to embrace our appropriate createdness, our appropriate creatureliness. And so, Sabbath is practicing uh, trust. Or here's another way to think about it that's been helpful for me. So, having kids in the home, whenever I you know pick up like a house around the house project on a Saturday. Inevitably, what that means is that I have four little helpers saying, "I want to come and help you, Dad." And for the most part, it's like, well, "What's great?" You know, this is quality time together, and you know, we'll work on this together. Maybe I can show them a thing or two. Not that I know really what I'm doing, but I can pretend like I can showing them a thing or two. And so we're working on this together, and it's great because we're doing it together. But at some point in the day, I say, "You know what, kids? You guys have been so helpful." but you seem tired. Why don't you go rest and daddy will finish this up. You know what the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is Jesus saying, you know what, Abe? You've been so helpful. (laughs) (laughs) You must be tired. Why don't you go and daddy will finish this up. And there is, when we can trust that there is a God, again, going back to my story, when I can trust that there is a God who's in the middle of this couple's marriage that are looking at divorce, that there is a Holy Spirit, and he does things without my permission or without my approval, that if I can trust that there is a Holy Spirit at work in this young woman who is in the um, psychiatric ward, if in ministry I can believe there's a Holy Spirit and I'm not him, if I can practice that trust every week in small ways, it creates the muscle memory that allows me to practice the trust in big ways in the heat of the tournament, in the heat of the fight, in the heat of our lives. But if we're not practicing trust, Our muscle memories of the soul is being wired the wrong way. It's being wired that says, we can't trust anybody. I need to do this. If I don't do this, it doesn't get done. But we need to practice and rewire that muscle memory. Because look, in the end, keeping a Sabbath. And again, I hope you're hearing me. This is a very flexible Sabbath. We're not talking about kind of strict Sabbath keeping sort of a thing. Uh, But I do think it should be weekly, and I do think the goal ought to be a 24-hour period. Uh, But in the end, keeping a Sabbath is not a practical problem for us. It's a spiritual problem for us. That there is still that Pharaoh in our hearts that secretly demands the quota of bricks so that we can know that our existence is justified. That deep down, there's this murmur this restlessness that tells us if you are not producing, you are not worthy of anything. The only way that that spiritual problem gets shut down is if we know truly and deeply and vividly and transformationally that Jesus Christ alone has died for us to give us a rest that we don't deserve that it was Jesus' work, it was Jesus' striving, it was Jesus' wrestling, it was Jesus' achievements, that when he did that, and he said, because I've done this, the favor that I have earned and deserve, I give it to you. And so now, impossibly, you can come before the Holy One of Israel and say, before a holy God, is the only place in the universe where my soul can finally rest. Do you know what that's like? Does that seem opposite to you? It did for me for the longest time. The one place where I can't rest is before a holy God. He needs more. He deserves more. He gave his life for me. I should give more. If I need more. But Sabbath tells us, no, 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 no. The one place in the universe, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can come and rest is before the God who is holy. And he's inviting you into that rest every week. Don't you see it? Don't you hear him? Don't you hear him saying, thanks so much. You must be tired. Let me finish this. He's inviting you into his rest. Why would we not? We don't have to keep a Sabbath, we get to keep a Sabbath. And as we practice delight, as we practice resistance, as we practice trust, even in the pit, We've come to know a God that we can trust. A God will take us out the other side and will give us a gift of resurrection even in the places of our darkest death. So would you leave this weekend? Find an hour. Map out your Sabbath practice. Tell whoever it is that needs to know. Or not just, maybe you need to work with them. Don't just inform them. <laughs> work with them. <laughs> i'm taking a sabbath every morning from 7 to 10 a.m <laughs> nothing you can do um, and get that in and let it become a rhythm and a habit and muscle memory so that you can be formed with a muscle memory that can trust jesus no matter what Amen. okay let's pray lord we uh, Uh, I just thank you for this weekend, and in many respects, it's been um, just a foretaste of the kind of rest that you offer to us. I pray that every one of us uh, this weekend, while we played and laughed and slept and ate and um, shared with one another, Lord, I pray that we would have experienced the delight of God. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us as we leave this place to remember, Lord, all the journey that you've taken us on. Uh, but to walk away saying, God invites me to practice his delight. I don't have delight in my life right now. That God invites me to practice resistance and true freedom. I don't feel free in my life right now. That God in, his, in the gospel of Jesus Christ invites us to trust him. I don't trust him right now. But that would practice that in the ordinary moments of life so that we might become the kinds of people who delight, who resist, and who trust, no matter what life throws at us. So help us, Lord, we need your Spirit even to do this. We are that weak, and yet you are that strong. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Hey, let's sing this chorus together before we wrap up here. Jesus, I am resting, resting. In the joy of what thou art, I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. One more time. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of my loving heart. Amen. Let's say thank you to Abe one more time for all his work and service to us. I believe you may have just heard um, what I think might have been the best teaching on the Sabbath that I have heard, and I've heard a lot, and I have tried to teach a lot of stuff on this, so I'm in- including my own, so thank you so much for serving us, Abe, in-, in that way, especially as we live and do life in a city that's defined by its productivity. Uh, this, talk about resistance. This is a fight, uh, so let's go home and wrestle with this and talk about it some more that we might be a Sabbath community. Uh, a Sabbath family. All right. Um, I got to say a couple more thank yous. This is our last time together before we uh, separate into our different ways. Um, Thank you so much for coming, first of all. I'm about to name different roles that people have played, but you have played the role of neighbor and brother and sister, right? And that is vital to a retreat being a fruitful time that you have made small talk, that you have sat with people over meals, that you have asked questions about what's going on in people's lives, that you have prayed for and with each other. The ordinary stuff that you have done throughout this weekend may have been the most impactful stuff in being a church on retreat together. So I want to acknowledge all of you. So give yourself a round of applause, right? (laughs) It it is important. Um, But also want to um, acknowledge um uh, again the music team and hold your applause we'll 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 thank all of you all together i'm not going to name names but rather roles that were played uh music team but especially joanna uh park who as our music director uh rallies the team together and and um, puts all this uh, the music stuff together our sound crew uh you've seen people slip up to the front you know tinker around with stuff so thank you for helping with that um as well as those that have uh uh, run DJ up here, the, mini- the Ministers of Lights, uh, helping us with the projector, uh, no small deal. Uh, we would not know what to say to Jesus without you, so thank you uh, for serving us in, in, in that way. Um, for all of you who um, uh, helped with the children's stuff, child care, um, which is a service not only to the kids, um, but also to the parents, and not on- only to the parents, but to the whole uh, community. Um, So thank you for loving on the children, um, because that cost you missing a session. Um, And make sure to find each other to thank you, and make sure to find Amy, who uh, put in a lot of time and uh, devoted a lot of her weekend. Uh, to caring for the kids. And so let's bless Amy and love her. Uh, Justin Weeks, who helped with setup and was sort of our free safety, uh, sort of um, running around and and, um, picking up loose ends and uh, closing gaps. All of you who led small groups, um, if you could raise your hand so we could acknowledge you. I said, said, hold your applause, Pastor. (laughs) He he said, yeah, he, he can't hold it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, (laughs) uh, Small group leaders, uh, those who um, led activities, um, those of you who brought nail polish, um... (laughs) Those of you who, who cared for each other throughout Saturday afternoon, um, people who helped with the welcoming and the checking in of people who were the first smiling faces, people came in from the rain and all of that, so important, uh, setting the tone for the weekend. People who gave rides, uh, who drove one another, literally would not be here without you. Um, those who helped uh, financially to uh, provide financial support for those who needed a scholarship to be here. Uh, we don't know who you are, but you have done an incredible service in making this retreat possible, uh, that we can have um, everyone who wanted to be here to be here and not let money get in the way of that. Um, Thank you to those of you who are first-timers. It is a joy. I mean, those of you that have been here many times, we love you too. But those of you that took the risk to come, even if you're newer to the church or you're still getting to know people, we admire your risk-taking courage to be here. Um, and we love the chance to get to know you better. And we think the retreat has has blessed us um, in that opportunity to know you and, and, and love you better. So thank you for daring to come. And then also make sure to uh, thank the uh, facility staff on your way out um, for all their help setting up, getting keys uh, put together food as as we're uh, having our last meal in uh, several minutes. Make sure to thank the staff on our way out. So put your hands together and let's say thank you to all of y'all for everything. So 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 important. But there's one more person, and I'm setting her apart to deserve special uh, applause and praise, and that's Joanna Giddens, the guru over all of it. So. Thank you, Joanna. (laughs) Thank you so much, sister. All right, we got one more small group time left. It'll be shorter than usual because we do have lunch coming up. So please um, go to your small groups to have one last um, time of discussion, and then we'll see you at lunch after lunch. um, Joanna, please correct me if I'm wrong. We just clean up, pack up, um, and then get out of here, right? If you are
1: have room in your car, let me know, because we do a little bit of
0: shuffling on the way back. So, yeah. It would be so sad to leave someone behind. So <laughs> don't, don't, don't let that, I don't think that's happened yet, but don't let that happen, right? If someone was in your car, make sure they have a, an alternate ride if they're not in your car again. Let me also uh, uh, say this. As you're packing up, you got to pack up your own stuff. But if you could, if you got a spare moment, um, ask Joanna or look around and see if there's any other general help that might be needed in terms of packing up this equipment um, or uh, cleaning up the kids' stuff, especially because Amy brought uh, loads of bins and stuff. So if you don't have a lot of cleanup to do for yourself personally or if you finish it quickly or if you maybe want to try to finish up quickly so that you can be of help come on down here um, we'll always need extra hands to do that sound good yeah Braxton what time should we close go to lunch you shouldn't ask me i'm going to break the rules joanna lunch is at 12 but oh see yeah what she said 12, 15, 12:15 12, 12:20 you know so meet meet for about 30 40 minutes How about that? Meet for about 30, 40 minutes, tie up some loose ends, spend some time in prayer, laugh together, and we'll go get some food. All right. Take care, everyone. See you at lunch. Thank you. Thank you.